Well, hello. Good evening. How we doing? Good. So good to see y'all. Micah was destroying that drum during that first song, and it was awesome. I just want to say that. So, man. Well, I hope you guys are having a great week. Um, you guys enjoy that pizza? It's pretty good for Aldi. I will confess it was, it was not from the fancies of places, but Aldi does pretty good on that, that pizza. So, well, yeah, hope you guys are doing well. I um, want to say hi to our Zoom people as well. I'm glad to have, guys, have you guys with us tonight. I, I love you guys wave to them. That just makes my evening each time. Um, but yeah, well, hey, if you got a Bible, uh, you can go and open to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and we'll, we'll get there in a second. But Ecclesiastes chapter 8, if you have to use a table of contents, there ain't no shame in that, okay? So it's in the ease. I'm kidding. That's not how the Bible's organized. All right. So, um, but yeah, but while you're turning there, um, we are, like Noah mentioned in his prayer, uh, doing a series right now. We're calling True Faults, looking at lies about God that sound like the truth. Uh, last week, we talked about the lie that God just wants me to be happy. We unpack that, how that can be really a two-sided lie, um, but one that ultimately puts our, our meaning and purpose in our happiness in life, and really God wants us to find our happiness ultimately in His holiness, right? That was kind of the big idea of last week. This week, we're continuing it, talking about the second lie. I'm, I'm kind of excited about this one, uh, the lie that you only live once, YOLO, which I have to point out David Seal. He is rocking the YOLO shirt tonight. David, show off your YOLO shirt. He, he was prepared. I love it. So he was ready. We're talking about the lie of you only live once. Um, next week will be a fun one, too. We're going Oprah next week. We're going to talk about how you need, to, you need to live your truth will be lie number three for next week. But we'll, we'll get there next week with um, Oprah stuff. All right. So, but this week, we're talking about you only live once. So to start out this talk, it's only appropriate to, to tell you a YOLO story that I have in my life, right? So, um, so here's the deal. So a couple of years ago, I went with a friend of mine, actually David Turner's son. If y'all know David, who leads a, a group here um, on Sundays, his son, uh, said that we should go, me and a few friends, um, on a kayaking trip one weekend about this time in the year. It might have been on Labor Day a few years ago. So we go, and we end up going to the Coosa River. Anybody live near the Coosa, know the Coosa? Yeah, okay, so I almost died in the Coosa. This is the story about that. All right, so we go to the Coosa, which he thought was 45 minutes away from here. It's like four hours away from here. But we get, eventually get there. We get kayaking. He told us, hey, man, this can be a really chill day. Like, the Coosa is a very calm river. We'll just, you know, go and, and coast and take our time. Uh, so we brought like open kayaks, like lake kayaks, like not the enclosed ones, like very open, not, not like completely sit on top, but essentially like that. So we, we get those, we start kayaking, we're having a great time, and suddenly we begin to see like in the distance, like this gathering of people, like on this rock in the middle of the river, and we're like, that's weird. And then we begin to get closer, we start to hear like this kind of, kind of deal, I'm like, that sounds like rapids. There's no rapids on the Coosa, right? That's what Harrison said. You know? <laughs> Turns out we were very wrong. That there are definitely rapids on the Coosa, and uh, we, we hit them. And uh, we were not prepared in multiple ways. Number one, we had open kayaks, which are not great for going through rapids. Number two, I forgot to mention, we didn't have enough life jackets. So none of us were wearing life jackets. I think we had four of us in three life jackets, and we just said, ah, don't worry about it. We'll be fine. So we get to the rapids, and I have no life jacket at this point. And two of the guys get to the rapid. They just like submarine. Like they immediately just go underwater. They have to bail. One guy gets turned around backwards. He goes down it somehow backwards and stays in it. I get caught in it sideways and my kayak starts filling with water. 
oh, this is not good. So I have to bail, and the kayak somehow like doesn't sink. It gets torpedoed down the river, way away from me, and I'm stuck in a rapid, no life jacket, like scrambling for my life, like getting pulled under the water. I really had like the kind of like your life flashes before your eyes. <laughs> That's like happening to me. I'm like, this is not the way, Lord, that I want to go. Like, I don't want to stand before you and be like, God, like, yeah, I died because I didn't wear a life jacket kayaking. You know, like this is, I, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to die, like let it be something more cool than this. You know, this is a, a dumb thing. So, but I somehow make it out because I'm, I'm here today, right? I'm not dead. And get out and to make it worse, my kayak's gone. And so I'm looking around, I'm exhausted. I can't really swim very far because I'm really worn out. And there's like a for real kayaker beside me and he was prepared. He has like nose plugs. You know, he's got like the skirt, not, not like a dress, but like the little thing that kind of keeps the water out. He's ready. So I go over and like, hey, dude, can I like hold on for a second? I'm like really worn out. He's like, yeah. So I hold on. He lets me hold on for like 30 seconds. He's like, hey, man, so if I don't like let you go, I'm going to miss my chance to get back in the rapid and have fun again. So can you like let go? I'm like, so like my life is less valuable than your kayaking experience. Okay, fine. So I let go and let's start swimming. And I thankfully about that time, one of the other guys catches up to me and gets me to hold on his kayak. And we, 30 minutes later, we finally get far enough down the river to find mine on the side of the river. <laughs> all right, you know. So it was an interesting time. So if you go to the Kusa, be prepared. All right, don't, don't think it's like a lake to go to. But, you know, th- that was a, a YOLO moment in some ways for us. <laughs> and, um, you know, we all probably have stories like that. If you, if you don't, you're in college now. You'll probably leave college with something like that before you get done, and, and that's okay. Um, but tonight, we're going to really consider this lie of you only live once. And yes, I know it's kind of a meme these days, and that's totally cool. Um, but we're really going to dive into that a little bit and see how it really is a dangerous lie that many of us buy into a lot more than we think. Because yes, it's, it's a meme, but it's also not really something that people are just kind of joking about. It's really a philosophy many people have today, and it's not a new thing. You know, it's really very ancient. If you look even like in the book of Isaiah, there's a old version of YOLO, which essentially says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You know, just make the most of today because who knows if we have tomorrow. But we're going to look in Ecclesiastes 8 for a second and see another version of this in verses 14 and 15. So if you've got a Bible, you look at Ecclesiastes 8, uh, we're going to look at this. But before we look at the verse for a second, just to set this up, Ecclesiastes is a weird book. I don't know if you've read much of it before. Um, it's like the emo band uh, book of the Bible because it's like really sad but really good. And so it's like, <laughs> it, it's a strange book to read. But you got to remember, it's a part of wisdom literature. And wisdom literature, like Proverbs, is meant to give us wisdom in life. It's, help, it's meant to give us the ability to make wise decisions. Many times the way that wisdom literature works in scripture is it contrasts wise living with foolish living. So it'll give you bad examples, and then it'll give you good examples. And Ecclesiastes is kind of like this, because in Ecclesiastes, the writer who may be Solomon is writing out some of his honest thoughts about life, some of which are foolish And he doesn't quite tell you that, but at the beginning, he begins with some foolish thoughts, but he begins to circle around as the book goes on and give some of that wisdom. So you got to be careful when you read this book. But look at verses 14 and 15 with me for a second. We're going to see some of this. Starting in verse 14, he says, There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. So second, he's basically saying there's good things happening to bad people, bad things happening to good people. It seems like life is meaningless and unfair, is what he's saying, which is honestly not untrue. That like, um, Not that life is meaningless, but good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people, and it's really easy to be frustrated in that. He's resonating with really many people's life experience. He said, I see this also as vanity. Moving on, he says, I, and I commend joy 
For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So we see a, bit, a little bit of a YOLO sentiment here when he's basically saying, like, guys, life is hard. Life's unfair. Enjoy what you can, because that's about it. You know, he's like, enjoy the days you have. You know, you only live once. Make the most of it, because you're going to end your life, and it's kind of a vandy of vandies. And it's, it's pretty negative. It's kind of a De- Debbie Downer of a book, but it gets better, <laughs> and we'll see that in a minute. But we see this mentality even in Ecclesiastes. And if you remember last week, we looked at Genesis 3, right? And we even saw a little bit of this lie in Genesis 3 with the serpent and with Adam and Eve. Because what's one of the things that Adam and Eve were told um, as a warning to not eat the fruit? God said, hey, don't eat the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, you will surely die, right? But what does the serpent tell them? You won't surely die. You know, you won't, you won't die. And he feeds this lie. And what the devil does, even with Eve, is he tries to convince her not to think about the consequences of her decisions in the moment. Don't think about the later, but instead focus on the convenient facts of the moment and not think about how they may have big consequences in the future. And honestly, Satan tempts Eve in many of the same ways that we face temptation today. Some of the lies that we get from him. Some of the lies we even tell ourselves. Things like, well, you deserve this. You know, yeah, well, they deserve you doing this to them. You know, it's just a little taste, just a little compromise. You know, this thing you're going to do, no one's going to get hurt by it. It's okay to do. You know, this will give you relief. This will make you happy. Or like tonight, you know, yeah, well, you only live once, so make it count. You know, live it up. And what happens is bit by bit, we give in. And bit by bit, we give in to sin, believing this promise that we won't die, that there's not consequences to the way that we live. But the truth is that we all die eventually. And there are consequences in this life. And, and that's the faulty logic of sin that we'll unpack tonight, is that sin makes us think that if we don't give in to whatever's tempting us, then we're going to regret, regret missing out on it. We're going to regret missing out on it later, while at the same time it's trying to convince us not to think about the later, but just to think about the now. And yes, wisdom would tell us that, yeah, we should make the most of this life because it's short, but it's really foolish, as the Bible would teach us, to think that you only live once. Because while wisdom tells us we only get one life, the real, the real reason our life matters is not simply because of this life now, but because of what comes after this life. And the way that we live this life now in light of eternity is what makes life so significant. So really, the challenge for tonight, instead of you know, embracing YOLO and you only live once, is going to be the challenge to live in light of eternity. Not just live in light of the next 40, 50, 60, 70 years of your life, but to live in light of the next 5 billion years. 10 billion years, which is hard to get your head around, but that's what the Bible would point us to. So that's kind of where we're we're going with this tonight. So first off, let's talk about YOLO's dumb friends for a second. I think this is in your uh, outline. Because, you know, the YOLO philosophy has a few friends that are just as dumb, uh, one being no regrets, which is always fun when it's a no regrets tattoo on someone's arm, you know. But no regrets is not really very, very helpful either because, you know, some people use it as a motivation for spending time wisely. But very rarely do you hear people use that phrase um, to do wise things. Usually it's to do stupid things <laughs> many times, like kayak without a life jacket. And honestly, here's the thing. It's impossible in life to live without regrets. As someone who's like a- approaching my mid-30s, I will tell you that unless you're like a sociopath with no conscience, you're going to have regrets at some point because of things that happened in the past, and that's okay. 
Like, that's part of living life. That's part of growing. As a Christian, it's part of mourning and grieving your own sin. You're going to have regrets. That's how we grow. (laughs) So that phrase is not really that helpful. Uh, But another dumb friend is one that I always love. It's only God can judge me. Only God can judge me, which I find really ironic because usually the people that use that phrase are the ones living like God will not judge them for what they're doing. And I find that really just interesting. But do this. In Ecclesiastes, flip over just a few chapters to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 9. Because even in Ecclesiastes, we're going to begin to see that the author gives us a dose of reality in chapter 11, verse 9. He says this. He says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. Which is some YOLO there again. Remember, this is not necessarily a blanket truth he's saying. This is him wrestling with some things. But look at the way he ends that verse. He says, But know that for all these things... God will bring you to judgment. He begins to put a dose of reality here that says there are going to be consequences for the way that we live. But you see, Satan would love for us to live our life not ever thinking about what comes next. He wants us to live our life as if this is all that we have and we make the most of it. You know, first, Satan really doesn't want us ever to think about death at all because he knows people that think about death honestly sometimes become worried and and, fearful maybe. Which, which leads them to cry out to God. So first off, he doesn't want us to think about death at all. But instead, he wants us to think about death as like a far-off thing, that we're kind of immortal, that, you know, we're not really worried about death. It'll happen maybe one day, but a long time from now. That's the perspective he wants us to have on death. But if he can't do that, and we actually acknowledge the brevity of life, then Satan wants us to, to put all of our focus simply on the here and now and doing everything we can to get the most out of this life. Because he absolutely doesn't want us to focus on what comes after this life. But the thing is, you know, the, the YOLO mentality, it, it isn't just a motto of like every spring breaker in PCB. It's, it's more than just that. Really, the YOLO motto, whether we say it or not that way, it's really the motto of every person who views, you know, their investment in the future simply as making more money. That really their security and their focus in life is just getting more money as much as they can. You know, this motto, YOLO, is also the motto of every person whose goal is simply to make their life as easy and as comfortable as it can be with no problems. YOLO is the motto of every person who goes through life, you know, never thinking about what comes next. And here's the one that's hard for me. Really, you only live once is the motto of every person who spends their days in anxiety and worry over the troubles of this life. Because even even in that moment, we're subconsciously saying that this life is all there is, so I really got to worry about it, making it as best as it can be, because that's it. You know, even our anxieties and our worries, my anxieties and worries are a way for us to embrace even unknowingly this motto of you only live once, make the most of it, this life is all there is. And that hits hard for me. But continue, but continue, consider Matthew ten twenty eight, where Jesus tells us this. I think it's on the screen. He says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And what Jesus is saying there is that honestly, dying ultimately is not the worst thing that can happen to anybody. But really, dying after you die is the worst thing that can happen to you. But, but Satan wants to keep you in any way from actually thinking about that. But the truth is that we all are going to die one day, and we're all going to stand before God and give an account of our lives. Romans 14.10 tells us that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. 
Revelation 20 describes a time in the future where every person is going to stand before the throne of God, and it says the books, the book of life will be opened, whatever that means. You know, many people think the book of life symbolizes like the list of every person who put their faith in Jesus. But regardless of symbolism, you know, it says that if your name is not found in that book, if you have not put your faith in Jesus and respond to the gospel, that you'll be thrown into what it says is a lake of fire and an eternal punishment in hell. And that's a scary thing, and I'm not trying to scare anybody, but the fact of the matter is we don't talk about this enough, and we don't think about it enough, I think, a lot of times in life. I know in my own personal life. But we got to remember that in this life, this is the only chance we have to respond to the gospel of Jesus, and that our response to that gospel will decide where we spend eternity, where we spend billions of years. So let's not let Satan lead us to put all of our focus on this life, and then forget how, how we live this life now is going to radically impact where we spend eternity. All right? Because ultimately, it's probably not very bad for us sometimes to think about dying. I think it can actually be a healthy thing if done well, as long as it leads us to live in the right way. I want to point out that for just a minute. So we'll talk about living in light of eternity for a second. Because I know that sounds morbid to, to talk about thinking about death. But I think really an awareness of death can sober us up to live well in light of eternity. And I think about my own life. And for me, the times that, you know, I've been more, the, the times I've been the most spiritually focused, the times I've been most intentional in my life, have been the times when I was thinking about death in some way more. Like I'll give you an example. So when I graduated from college, um, I went, I had a civil engineering degree. So I went and served with an engineering nonprofit, Christian nonprofit called Engineering Ministries International, EMI. Um, and if, you, if you're an engineer in the room and you ever want to use your degree for missions in some way, talk to me. I'd love to get you connected with EMI. But they have offices all over, offices all over the world, and uh, they serve the global poor in developing countries by helping uh, different churches and ministries design orphanages and schools and even hospitals, things like that. So part of my job was I worked in East Africa in Uganda, and I helped design an orphanage. I did, like, the, the boring stuff. I did the, 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 the stormwater drainage and the sewer drainage, the stuff you don't see, but that's really important. That's what the stuff I did. It wasn't the cool architecture stuff. But that was my job. So I was an engineering intern there in Uganda. But in the time I was preparing, it was right after I graduated. I graduated in May of 09. I'm really old. And I was going in August. And so I was in this in-between phase. And I, it kind of hit me during the summer that I was like, you know what, like, I'm going to Africa, and Africa's like a dangerous place, I hear. I could, like, die there. <laughs> you know, like, like, should I be concerned about that? You know, like, and I begin to have this, like, kind of anxiety about, like, I really could, like, die in Uganda. And, and it seems silly to me now because I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just as dangerous to go drive in, in the street in Tuscaloosa probably as it is, you know, to go to Africa really statistically. But, you know, like, so the reality of me dying there is probably no more real than here. But in the moment, it felt very pressing to me. And it really began to like kind of bear in my soul, like, okay, like, if this is it, like, if I leave to go to Africa in August and never see like my friends and family again, like, how well have I lived my life? And that sounds very intense, but that's what I, what I, that's what I was thinking. I gave like an hour and a half sermon to the youth group the week before I left because like, I was like, I got to get everything out to you, you know? It's like the first sermon, sermon I ever gave and it was really long and y'all should be glad that you weren't, weren't there for it. Okay, but, um, but I just had this burden thinking about, man, like, what was I wasting my time on in life? You know, was I really, you know, living my life for Christ? Were I doing things that I would be embarrassed to stand before God and give an account for? You know, and I just had this kind of overwhelming sense of, I want to make my life count in the right ways. And I knew that when I stood before the Lord, I'd be secure in Christ. But I wanted to be able to give a good account of the time he gave me. And it led me to reevaluate some stuff. It really was a huge season of spiritual growth in my life. 
And I think God has wired us that way for a reason. And I'm not the only one who's who's thought this before. I'll give you some examples real quick. Um, Jonathan Edwards, uh, a pastor, way back in like the 1700s, he was like a Puritan kind of guy. He's not quite Puritan, but connected. He, when he was a teenager, this blows my mind, but when he was a teenager, he made a list of 70 resolutions that um, would help him live his life for Christ. And you can Google them. I, I, say, I really encourage you to Google Jonathan Edwards' resolutions and read them. They're really interesting. They're very challenging. But as a teenager, he made 70 resolutions about living his life for Christ, and he would reread them every week to remind himself of these things. You want to talk about New Year's resolutions and giving up on it like a month in? This dude read them every week. But one of them I wanted to mention is this. It stood out to me because I'm a nerd and read these kind of things. He said, resolved to think much on all occasions about my own dying and of the common things which are involved with and surround death. You read that, you're like, that's weird. Like, he's resolved to think about dying a lot. That, that <laughs> seems like strange. But his point, and if you, you can read some other ones and get the idea, his point is that re- realizing that life is short and that we will all die one day sobers us up to realize that this life isn't all that there is and we need to li- live in light of eternity. And it puts eternity more square in our view and also helps us to prepare better, helps us to make the right decisions and to value life the way it should be valued. Uh, John Piper, a pastor, he said it this way. He said, life is too short, too precious, too painful to waste on worldly bubbles that burst. He's not saying the world is not a, a, has good things in it, but it's not our ultimate home. He says, heaven is too great, hell is too horrible, eternity is too long that we should putter around on the porch of eternity. And I love that putter around the porch. That's a good like pastor alliteration there. But it's got me thinking like that's really what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to putter around on the porch of eternity. Me and my wife bought our first house uh, about a year ago. We looked at a bunch of houses, did the whole shopping process and everything. It's kind of exhausting. But I'll tell you one thing, no one ever goes to a house and just looks at the porch and says, yeah, I like that house. It's a nice porch. I'll buy the whole thing. You know, you don't go to the porch and be like, all right, this is, this is good. I'm not going to go in the house. I'm going to hang on the porch and kind of expect to have seen the whole house. Like, that's not how porches work, right? A porch, in many ways, is meant to prepare you to enter the house, right? But yet, so many times, how many people put all of their focus you know, on, you know, the porch of life, the porch of eternity? You know, maybe the 80, 90 years they have on earth, and they neglect the billions of years that they have in eternity, because it's foolish to live that way. That's what the Bible would tell us. It's foolish to focus on this life only and ignore the next. So as we begin to wrap up, I want to just give you a kind of alternative, if you will, to you only live once. It's not nearly as cool, okay? But what, you know, what's a better way to think about it? Well, I think a more biblical phrase would be this. It'd be live once, die twice, live twice, die once. Good luck finding an acronym for that. Like, I have no idea how you pronounce that. Like, I I can't even do it. Okay, don't worry about that. All right, there's no way you can make it sound cool, okay? It's not really meant to sound cool, all right? But the idea here is this, and I'll explain it with John 3. So many people heard the story of John 3. In John chapter 3, Jesus is in a conversation with a religious leader, a Pharisee, about what you have to do in order to enter the kingdom of God, which simplified is essentially what it means to enter into heaven. What do you have to do to to enter into heaven? And Jesus replies in John 3, 3, he says, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we church people have heard that and be like, oh yeah, born again. That's what happens when you get saved. You know, and, and we get that and that's good. But imagine you're the guy hearing this for the first time. You're like, born again? Like what? 
That's why he responds, how can a guy enter his mother's womb again? That's, Jesus, this is weird. Like, what are you talking about? It's strange stuff. But what Jesus is explaining, and he unpacks it more in that chapter, is that to be born again happens when we repent of our sin and we believe in the gospel of Jesus. And to be born again really means that we also have to die to ourselves and find our new life in Christ. And that new life then begins in this life, but it lasts into eternity. I love John 17, 3. Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That eternal life doesn't begin when we die, but really, we have the chance to experience some aspect of eternal life even now as we walk in a relationship with God in Christ in this world. But if we reject that offer of new life, we're not just going to face physical death like everybody does, but we're going to face spiritual death forever in hell. So that's where we get the idea of live once, die twice. But if you live twice, be born once and be born again, you just die once, but then you live forever with the Lord. But Satan doesn't want us to think that way. He wants us to simply be focused on the here and now. You you hear Jesus make that famous statement. Jesus has said, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Well, Satan wants us to answer that question, everything. Like, it gains me a whole lot to gain the whole world, but to lose my soul. But Jesus stands with us, and he knows what's best for us. And he calls to us to say, he says, be born again. Don't live simply just for this life, but live for eternity. And respond to the gospel so you can truly live forever. As we wrap up, I want to share one more quote, and then we'll be done, and we will um, discuss Uh, It's by C.S. Lewis. I love this quote. He says this. uh, This is actually from his book, I think, Way to Glory. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And that quote will hit you hard if you think about it, because Satan just wants us to focus on the mud pies. That's what he wants. You know, life is absolutely full of good things, but Satan wants us to simply focus on just the good things and not start asking, is there more to this life? Is there more beyond this life? He wants us, as C.S. Lewis says, he wants us to be easily pleased instead of looking for the eternal joy we can have in Christ. He wants us easily pleased in the here and the now. So I encourage you tonight that if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, that maybe tonight could be that night. If you um, don't know what that means, you have more questions, we'd love to talk to you about that. I'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, No doubt there's someone at your table, probably multiple people at your table that would love to talk to you uh, more about that. But don't let tonight pass by without asking some of these hard questions because we never know when it might be too late. I think even the COVID issue has made it even more obvious in our day and and age that life is way more short than we can imagine. I know I have not personal friends, but friends of friends who have passed away from this. And really in culture, death has been put in our face a lot more and it scares us. And it kind of should, but let's not let it scare us to simply saying this life is all there is, so let's, let's live it up. But let's instead let it propel us into asking the question, how am I living in light of eternity? You know, am I, have I responded to the gospel? And if I'm a Christian, am I, am I living in light of the next billion years and not simply the next 70, 80, 90 years? All right. So I want to pray for us real quick, and then we'll give you guys about 15 minutes to discuss, discuss at your table, and then we'll wrap up for tonight. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we love you. 
Lord, we thank you for the truths that you show us in your word. Um, Lord, we know that your, your word doesn't always just give us what we probably would want to hear, but it gives us what we need to hear. And it reminds us of the truth of life, uh, which is the fact that life is um, temporary, that we all will die, and that we will stand before you one day and give an account of our lives. And I, I remember being a college student. I remember how um, death just seemed like such a far and distant thing, and um, you kind of feel <laughs> immortal in the season. And Lord, I know that this is maybe not the most cheery and positive message for us tonight, but it's a sobering thing that we need to hear because it's when we think of the brevity of life and we think of what comes after that it leads us to live wisely in the here and now. It leads us to live wisely for eternity. So I pray for these students that that you would impact their hearts tonight. Um, Maybe for the first time ever, would they maybe grapple with the reality of the fact that, that they will die and that one day they'll stand before you and give an account of their life and and maybe they ask the hard question of what will they say? You know, uh, what account will they have to give? And Lord, we know that for those in Christ, we will stand before you and that we will not have to make a case for us to be good enough to be accepted by you because the case has already been uh, finished by what Christ has done for us. But no Christian should want to stand before the Lord and not be able to give at least some kind of good account about what you did with, uh, what they did with the life you've given them, Father. Or we want to be good stewards of the life you've given us. So give us wisdom, Lord, give us just insight in how this looks even in daily life. I pray for any person in this room who's not put their faith in Jesus. I pray that you would begin just to, to press into their heart and soul and, and just maybe make them ask some hard questions about really what they're living for and really what may come after this life. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open up hearts and draw people to yourself for your glory. Lord, we ask that you would guide the discussion tonight. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.